Bing bong. What's up, everybody? I am Mr. Adamax, and I hate myself for that. Uh, yeah, I'm Mr. Adamax. This is the Pursuit Podcast on the Auto Collective. I'm going to fire off right away with a hot take. Uh, I, I mentioned it in the podcast yesterday with Kyle Smain and Jabber. I think I, me, my personal opinion, I think that your goggles should match your helmet. And I'm a snob and I admit that. And I'm wrong, maybe. But that is what I think. I think if you're wearing a Jiro helmet, you should wear Jiro goggles. And if you're wearing a Smith helmet, you should wear Smith goggles. If you're wearing Oakley goggles, <laughs> you do not have to wear an Oakley helmet because we all know that they are awful. Uh, that's my hot take for the week. It's stupid. I know. I don't know. I hate that I think that, but I'm the same. Th- I don't think that. I guess I'm not even the same. I don't think that I should wear Nike socks with Nike shoes. I'm a mutt. Uh, I'm just a ski snob, and I'm trying to work on it. And don't think that this matters because it doesn't. The goal of skiing is to have fun. Go outside. I don't care if you have a Pock helmet and Smith goggles or a Jofa helmet. And it doesn't matter. Wear a helmet. Go outside. Have fun. That is my hot take for the week. It's funny how I can be such a snob. Or we can all be such snobs when it comes to, like, gear. When ultimately none of this matters. None of it. We're having fun. We're going outside. We're skiing with friends. It's social. So my New Year's resolution this year is not to care. I want to care about people. I want to care about my friends. I want to care about my family. But I want to stop caring about things that don't matter. Obviously easier said than done. But I think we just worry about too much. I care if my if my skis match. Why? Why am I like this? I don't even match socks. Like, dude, get it together. You're a wreck. Anyways, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this rant. Let's talk about my uh, my sponsor this week. My sponsor this week and for the next couple weeks uh, is still Onyx Backcountry. We don't have any snow, so... I got to use it a little bit because we got a sleeper storm, and now we've had a drought, so there's no touring right now. Some of the West Coast spots are getting hit. Some of the Far East Coast spots are getting hit. Anyway, onyxmaps.com. Use code out of bounds for 20% off your subscription. I've said it. I'll say it again. Onyxmaps.com. Onyx Backcountry is the app on your phone. Download it. Save maps. Slope shading. Route finding root creating you can create roots on your computer and bring them to your phone it's literally and i've said it i say it again i'll say it again it's a guidebook in your pocket and there's nothing better than that and it's a safety tool i mean we don't want to have to rely on our phones when we're in the backcountry. that would be insane but it's also another tool that we have that we can rely on and something that can help us maybe find our car or find the van where you parked it just if you get turned around. So again, onyxmaps.com, use code out of bounds. Now let's talk about my guest this week, Maddie McKinstry. She is a ski patrol. 
I believe she's a raft guide. We didn't even talk about rafting because we just had such a great conversation about skiing. She's a telemark skier, and I know how this industry hates telemark skiers, including myself. And I tell you why telemark is dead and is dying in this episode. Uh, Maddie obviously disagrees with me. She's been on telemark skis since I think she said she was 12 years old. So she's like the exact opposite of a poser. Like, I'm a poser. I'm a telemark skier, telemark for the last seven years, and now I'm alpining. So I'm the poser in this situation. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a great conversation. I think that about all my conversations, because if I'm having bad conversations, then I don't think I should be doing this. Uh, We talk a little bit about mental health. So there's a little warning for you. It's at the end of the episode. Nothing bad. We're just shining light on it. It's a real thing. Seasonal depression is real. Depression is real. Talk to your friends. Call your friends. Be transparent. That's what we need to do. That's how we need to continue to help each other and to grow and to help our, you know, if your leg was broken, you'd go to the hospital and get it fixed. So if your mind is, I don't want to say broken, but if your mind is a little off, go to the doctor, go to the therapist, talk to somebody. It's important. Self-care is important. And Mandy and I talk about that. Uh, We talk about gatekeeping as far as like locals only and kind of how basically bullshit. Uh, We're all imports. We all came from somewhere. We should just be happy that people are out there sharing the stoke with us. So I rant a lot in this episode. I'm ranting a lot now. So here it is. Episode 40 of The Pursuit on the Auto Collective with Maddie. The worst part is the intro, which there is no intro, so this is all you. So whenever you are ready, you can kind of start with your spiel. Who you are, where you're from, and then I'll kind of help you from there. Okay. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Sick. Well, I guess I'll just hop right into it then. Um, My name is Maddie McKinstry. Uh, I originally, originally am from a little tiny town in Nevada called Spring Creek. Uh, It's right at the base of the Ruby Mountains. So if you've ever heard of like terminal cancer, that's where that line is. Um, So my parents did a lot of skiing in the Rubies with their friends, like growing up. Um, We had like a pretty good posse of family friends that all had kids that were around my age. So that's kind of how I got into telemark skiing and skiing in general was like the backcountry. And then we moved to Steamboat, Colorado when I was 12 which was a great time to move uh, just in the middle, middle of middle school, like (laughs) moving in the seventh grade, not ideal. Middle of your Um, social like peak. Yes, correct. (laughs) But it was nice because uh, being a telemark skier, I switched when I was 10. So when we moved to Steamboat, my dad heard that there was a telemark racing program and he was just like, sign her up because he was a ski racer, an alpine racer uh, growing up. He grew up in kind of California and Colorado split. So because we had been in Nevada and there weren't really any racing programs around Elko or Spring Creek, I didn't get to have that upbringing. It was just like ski trips, you know, into the Rubies or my grandpa lives in Driggs. So used to go up to Targhee a lot or go over to Alta in Utah as well. So it was nice to move to Steamboat and have like lifts and have the structure of the Winter Sports Club. And yeah, Telemark Racing was all I did for eight, nine years. <laughs> so that, that so my... back up a little bit. 
I mean, I'm familiar with terminal cancer. I've knocked it off my bucket list. But the Rubies, there are no resorts there, right? It's all just kind of backcountry skiing. There is no, if I'm not mistaken, there's no ski resort there. Right, yeah. It's all backcountry. And there's like a, and now I'm going to sound maybe a little uneducated on it, but there's a line in the canyon where you can't even take snowmobiles past. So like you have to park, you know, your snowmobile at a certain point and then it's all human powered after that. Um, so it's not, I don't think it's a wilderness boundary, but there's something with the national forest where it's just like non-motorized after a certain point. Um, so is yeah. that what led you to telemark skiing or getting your, like your parents putting you on telemark skis? Was there, cause you started at 10 years old, correct? Telemark skiing. Yeah. So is, is that why you went to telemark? Was it because of access to the backcountry? And where you lived or because that's personally why I started telemark skiing, which was, I don't know, 10 years ago. Um, And I started because I it was better to me at the time. The gear was better for getting into the backcountry. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, that is why most people get into telemark, because it's it was the easier access to backcountry. Um in my family, like my mom, dad, both tellied, my dad stopped alpining after he was done teaching or like coaching skiing essentially. Um, cause he was a ski coach at a basin for a while and he kind of just fell out of love with alpine skiing and decided for like the next challenge. So that's why he started tellying. And then when I was little, like my parents put me on skis at age two. And then as I grew up, I realized that their bindings were different than mine. And so I'd be like, Oh mom, dad, like when can I ski like you guys? And I would try on my alpine skis, like put my uphill foot back and I'd be like, look, I'm doing it. And they're like, that's not really how that works. Like you need a whole different setup. <laughs> um, yeah. So essentially when I started tellying, um, the first time I ever did it was at Park City in Utah. Cause we were just like on, we essentially would leave for the weekends and go ski in Utah or Wyoming it was how I grew up. And then there was a tiny little hill in Elko called the Snowbowl, and it had 600 feet of vert I think and a double chair that took like 17 minutes but it was a ski hill nonetheless um but yeah and then in a in order for all the kids to be able to go to the rubies with the parents it just made more sense to be on telemark gear um we wouldn't do the long tours like the adults would but you know we could do the little baby stuff so I'm so I don't know if this is gonna be a telemark episode in general but I just started my ski season today. This was like my opening day. I toured a couple times nice. last week, but this was like my opening day. And I did it on Alpine gear for the first time in a long, long, long time. Dang. And I felt like such a poser out there. Like I saw all my old friends. I like didn't tell anybody. <laughs> I saw all my like ski friends. And I'm like on all new, like brand new technical Kochi's 130 boots that I can't flex because I haven't flexed a boot like this in 10 years. And I don't know. I had to tell you, I had a riot because it was just switching it up. And I don't think I'm done telemark skiing. But I don't know. I think I just had to say that out loud so everyone can hear that I'm a poser now because I don't know how I feel. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I go back and forth on telemark and the gear for me is part of why I'm doing both now is because the uphill gear has come so far the alpine 
touring gear is so much lighter. There's no arguing it. Scarpa hasn't given us a boot in forever. I'm sick of it. I want new gear, so I'm doing it. And that's what I did. And like 22 Designs, the Lynx, awesome. But like still compared to like tech gear, it's heavy. So I made the switch and that's my confession and I don't know how I feel. But where that is going, kind of, I think that just had to get off my chest, is you got into <laughs> got into Telemark Racing, which to me is like, and maybe I'll offend you, but like, you might as well Alpine if you want to Telemark race. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> I just feel like Telemark isn't made to be, like it's everything that Telemark doesn't represent to me. And, and this brings me to like the Olympics and I want to talk to you about it. But like Telemark is so free and like flowy and like it's almost like this odd flow state. And then you bring like racing and structure into it. And I'm like, no, like we are misfits, punks, freaks, like freak flag flying in the air, living in vans. And now we want to like race. No, I don't want to do any of that. So explain Telemark racing to the general public because it's different. It's not just bashing gates. You do like a a 180 turn and almost like skate up the hill, correct? Yeah. Yes. So essentially, <laughs> uh, Telemark racing is quite structured. Um, but don't worry. All the people who are Telemark racers would have no problem with me saying this. We're all freaking weirdos. And like, <laughs> I don't think there's one person on the World Cup circuit that like, Oh, oh no, my earphones are dying. <laughs> I might have to switch back to the <laughs> it's computer okay. That's audio. Fine. audio. Um, let me just do that really quick. Uh, okay, can you still hear me? Yep, it sounds okay. okay. Cool. Um, but yeah, so everybody on the World Cup circuit is like pretty weird. Um, and they've all found their way to Telemark through like different circumstances. Like they either started alpine skiing first or you know, they came from skier cross or Nordic or any other kind of discipline. Um, but the Telemark racing setup, everything is always going to be a giant slalom, giant slalom format. Um, and then there's a jump in the middle that you clear a line for distance. So there's two lines, a women and a men's line. And if you don't make the line, you get three seconds penalty added to your time. And if you don't land telemark, it's another second penalty added to your time. Landing telemark being heel lift, like in a lunge for anyone yeah. listening. For anyone yeah, listening, yeah. So, landing in a lunge. Cool? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way you're set up to go into the next turn too. It's not like you land the jump and then you're just cruising downhill. You land the jump and you're right into another turn. Um, so yeah, there's that. And then at the end of the course, Sometimes it could be in the middle. We'll get into that. But usually at the end, there's the Rapalusha, which is a Norwegian term. The French call it a loom. And it's not quite a 360, but it's a big bank turn. Um, You go around that and then you have Nordic poles the whole time. So then you have a skate section at the end. Um, So if you're smart in the Rapalusha, you can actually press off that wall and like gain more speed to come out into the skate section going faster. Um, And then, yeah. And then you skate down. I think usually the skate sections are anywhere from like 30 seconds to like a minute long. And then you go through the finish line. Um, The reason I say that the Rapolution might not always be at the end is because in the classic, which is just the one run format, it's kind of like the downhill. um, 
I've been in classics where there's a wrap in the center of the course and a wrap at the end. So like there's two skate sections sometimes. And then there's also the uh, dual sprint, which is two GS courses right next to each other. You go off the same jump, but you're separated, but then you go into the same Rapalusha. And so then it gets a little bit of like skier crossy. And sometimes athletes will legitimately fly out the side of the wrap and go into the B net and it's a whole thing. Um, and then you're on the same skate section. So you can't, like you're not allowed to throw elbows. It's not meant to be full <laughs> contact, but like you can definitely like kind of use your body and like get, you know, all up in the other person's business. Um, yeah. And then too, you're also judged on every single turn you make. So if you're not making a proper telemark turn, which means you have one boot length in between your toe and heel as you're lunging, you get a second penalty. Um, and then if you like hesitate too long in alpine stance you also get a second penalty but you can only get one second penalty per gate so if you hesitate you get a penalty or if you don't have proper boot spacing you get a penalty so this is way more complicated than i thought it was right which is why it doesn't have that big of a following um as far as like spectators because when you cross the finish line like when i first started racing in 2000 eight yeah i think my first world cup was in 2008 um is that right no 2010 uh we'll call it 2008 just in 2009 case. Uh, yeah call it 2009 <laughs> i can't quite remember um but when you cross the finish line all of the gatekeepers or like the gate judges have to turn in their scorecards so you you know your raw time but you don't know your time with penalties until they can like get their shit together essentially and like give you the time and now the software has come along to a point where at least in the um like the dual sprint you'll have your time when you cross the finish line whoever crosses first like wins right because it needs to be like that fast so i think nowadays you can have your actual time calculated with penalties when you cross the finish line but that's why it doesn't have a lot of spectators is because there's just like too many rules essentially i've always been fascinated by like the ski industry and telemark and like how, like why can't a great telemark skier be in a level one edit or a, like, it's always like the redheaded stepchild and this isn't necessarily racing, but like it is like Michaela Schifrin makes millions of dollars. And then I don't, I could, I mean, I know you, those are the telemark <laughs> racers that I know, but like, it's arguably harder in every shape or form, just getting down the hill. Like I'm a park rat. I mean, I'm an everything rat now, but like I grew up a park rat and I've never stopped hitting park even on telly. And like, I can hit like a box on telemark skis and a stranger would be like, dude, you're sick. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm garbage, but I'm on telemark. So everyone thinks it, but then like you put it into like, the film world or the industry world. And it's like, just like this redheaded stepchild. Do you agree with that? Or do you not like, no, I think you're totally right. And I think that that's something that we've been dealing with as telemarkers, like since the beginning of time, essentially, or the beginning of Alpine skiing. Um, It's just like, there's not as much interest in the sport because Alpine has so many more binding companies, boot companies options. Yeah. To now get into the back country. And it's like, the Alpine industry is continuing to progress, 
where Telemark for a while there kind of got not left behind, but people just weren't as invested in it. But now you have the NTN binding, the new Telemark norm, for those of you who don't speak Telemark. Um, But it's like, until we had those releasable bindings, like nothing had really changed with Telemark bindings. And now we've got these step-in releasable, no longer have the duckbill binding. And like that kind of revived Telemark and made people, I guess, more accessible to people. Because a lot of people think that Telemark is bad for your knees or you get injured more telling, which is kind of true about the injuries because before we had releasable bindings, if you fell, your ski doesn't come off, your knee twists, you blow your ACL. But now you fall, you twist, your binding pops off, you're fine. And the rate of flexion on your knees is technically slower than alpine skiing. So it is better for your knees because you're flexing in a more, I don't know, a way that's better for your body. Essentially. It's not like a repetitive jarring motion. Yeah. I think personally for me, telemark, and I'm going to find out this year, I guess, but knock on wood, I've been in really good health from telemark, but I don't think I take the impacts like I took on Alpine. And it's not because I'm like this graceful telemark skier. Like I'm still just as like loose and fast and out of control. Like I'm cold trickle of skiing and I will always be like, always on the verge out of control, but I got it. I'm fine. I'm that's my style. I hold it. But I think like when you take an impact, it goes through your toe, through your ankle, through your knee, to your hip, to your back versus like some of those Alpines, it goes right through your heel to your, like to your directly to your knee, to your hip, to your back. Like it's more of a straight shot. And maybe, I don't know, I guess I'm going to find out this year, but I will say Telemark hasn't evolved. Telemark equipment, this is my hot take. Telemark equipment has not evolved because Telemark skiers are not consumers. And that is the problem. And I've been saying this for years, but there's all these people and they're all on the Facebook forum and they all want to buy all this old shit that came out 20 years ago. And then they're mad that Scarpa hasn't come out with a new boot. It's like, well, if you don't buy new boots, they're not going to continue to make new boots. That's a really good point. I mean, I have so many friends that are still skiing the purple black diamond custom <laughs> boots. The best boot they and ever they're made. like, I have all the buckles. I have all these screws. Like I can, I'll make these boots last for the next 10 years. And you're like, I mean, yeah, they were a great boot, but like, <laughs> yeah. How are we supposed to progress the sport if you're not? refreshing your gear every like two to three years, which like I understand is expensive, but then I do have a friend who just uh, started telling and he's like, yeah, I'm going to get into telly this, this season. And he sent me a photo of the candy cane Scarpa T race boots at second wind here in Bozeman. And I was like, they're fucking mint. Like <laughs> I was like, dude, where did you find these? He's like, they were at second wind. And I don't like, there was still plastic on the like power wrap. Like there's, they're in perfect condition. And I'm like, well, that's sweet. And I'm glad you got those because they are new boots to you. But again, it's like Scarper stopped making those. And now people are like so obsessed with like finding the T-Race. Oh yeah. Like I had, I mean, I was, I had the black diamond custom, the purple boot. And then I had the black diamond push that was essentially the same, but softer, but everything fit. So I had two boots I could create like a Frankenstein anytime anything broke. But I do think like 22 designs and Bishop and like, thank, thank goodness they're here and like creating things. But like, if you call their customer service, you talk to the same person every day. Like they're not these big mega companies 
they're tiny. And like every time you buy a binding, that pays someone for the week. Like it literally goes directly to them. And I, I like want to like shake the telemark skiers to be like, you have to consume. Like if Solomon makes, I don't know. Remember the BBR that came out years like forever ago and it was a big flop. It was a bad ski, but what I will say anything. If Solomon makes a boot, people buy it and they buy it and they buy it. And then if they find out this year, it sucks. And Solomon finds out this year, it sucks. Next year, Solomon will make a new boot and all those people will go buy that boot. And that's how you get development. That's how you get to better things. But when we telemark skiers, or I don't know if I call myself that anymore because I'm looking at Alpine boots and I'm a poser, but <laughs> we need to consume. This is my plea for any telemark skier looking at their hammerhead bindings, shelf them and go buy some, buy an Outlaw X or buy a Bishop or buy a Lynx if you want to go touring because that money is what will fuel this sport for the following years. And buy a new Scarpa boot, even though it's the exact same mold they've been using for 10 years. Just go buy it, and maybe next year, or I guess this year, we'll get a new boot. Yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> I think that's a very good outlook on it and a good push to you know, try and help the industry. This is my plea. Like, what? This is my plea. Yeah. Because I think that's another thing, like going back to the fact that Telemark's kind of like the like stepson of the ski industry is like, well, yeah, you don't see Telemarkers in like level one movies or whatever, because there's just not as many Telemark skiers. And then how many of those Telemark skiers are actually pushing the limit to go be in a ski movie? And it's like, honestly, right now you've got Ty Dayberry. That's it. Like Ty is pushing the envelope all the time. He has friends that are good behind the camera. He gets them to film them. Like he invites other telemarkers to come ski with him. And like, that's how you get movies. And then, you know, you've got smaller Instagram accounts like Telemark Colorado or like East coast Telemark. And they do like the Mac and Steve's or the King of the Hill. And those are all great. And we should do more things like that. And more people should participate in them, even if they don't think that they're very good. Cause it's like, you just got to get more exposure and yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I don't think, I think once you get Telemark, it, it's just as easy. Like once you get it, once you learn and it makes sense, like, great. So like, and I think Ty like figured that out. Like I assume he was a great Alpine skier and then just started Telemark skiing. And once it clicked, he was like, oh, I can do a cork seven on my Telemark gear. Cause I could do it on my Alpine. And I don't know. I would just love to see. And they do a great job with the future free heel and all that. Like they're doing it, but it's just always so baffling to me that like no one cares. Not mm -hmm. that no one cares, but no one cares. No one cares that you tell me. And it's true. And it it's bizarre to me. There's no answer. I don't know. I don't know the answer. Like, but why does the industry hate us? Like they used us for a couple years with like K2, like making like the uh, their telemark skis with like the pre-drilled 22 design holes and like I don't know how old you are but there was like a big thing like it was like a thing and they just used us and then they threw us away and I don't know how I feel but I guess I'm upset about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah tell us how you really feel <laughs> I'm upset about it and I think it's harder and I think people should respect us out there no I don't know I it's such this weird cult and it's really funny and mm -hmm. I don't know, but it was so normal for you. Like you grew up and you did it because your parents did it. 
So you grew up ski racing. Let's get back to this a little bit. You went to school and you ski raced in college, right? Yeah. So in high school, Steamboat has an awesome program where it's called skier schedule and you go to school at 7 a.m. and you get out at 1140 and then training starts at one. So like you get to ski every day and it's fantastic. Um, And so that was like, you know, me getting to ski race in high school. And then when I graduated high school, I kind of bounced around the idea of going to see me ski uh, CMC college on the hill there in steamboat. It's a two year college. Um, and just continuing to train with the winter sports club because I wanted to do a full season on the world cup because before, yeah, before my freshman year of college, I had done, you know, three race series or two race series or one race series. Um, and I really wanted to do the whole, the whole thing, the whole enchilada, if you will. So I was kind of, I was like, do I stay in Steamboat and have the same experiences and the same coach, which my coach at the time was fantastic. I still talk to him today. He pushed me in so many ways. Um, it's like, or do I go have a new experience up in Bozeman? Cause I had applied to Montana state. Um, and I had talked to the Alpine coach, uh, for their ski team at the time. And I was like, listen, I'm a girl. I'm a telemark skier. Um, I have a good attitude. I could contribute to the team, but like, I'm not trying to race for you guys. I'm not an Alpine racer. I'm on the U S telemark team and I want to still have a training program for myself to go do world cups. And the coach was like, Oh, well, because of title nine, it's kind of a long backstory, but essentially they need to have a full men's roster on the MSU ski team. You need uh, two girls for every one guy. So we needed 12 girls to have six guys. And you can only take like three girls and three guys to NCAAs and only six are going to score points at races. So like having 12 Alpine girls creates a lot of competition, which in one way is like a good thing to continue to push the athletes harder, but it's also like, that's just, it's too much essentially. So he was like, well, if we bring on this telemark skier, then we have one more like half spot for a dude. And so he said, yes. <laughs> um, and because of that, I got to uh, train with them. I got to have all the perks of being an NCAA athlete through college. Like I got to sign up for classes sooner, um, like have access to just like all the things that student athletes get, which was like really awesome. And showing up to school is a really intimidating thing for all of you people who have been a freshman in college. Um, and you just, ha- I had an immediate friend group. It was just like the ski team. So that was a really cool way to just step into a community. What's skiing the World Cup like? Like, what is what does the Telemark World Cup look like? Are there fans? Are there is there a following? Is there money, or is it just like a really sad event? <laughs> well, it depends on where you are. Um, if you're in Slovenia, not a lot of fans. If you're in Austria, not a lot of fans. In Norway, though, like for the first world championships I competed in, I don't know where they got all these people, but they like bust in people from Rukon and all of the surrounding areas of Rukon because that's where world champs were. And I signed a lady's forehead at the end of a race. That's once. amazing. That's like a life <laughs> yeah. goal. Yeah. I was a merch guy on tour once for a pop punk band and I signed an, a back of an album that I had nothing to do with other than I sold merch. <laughs> But that's like my highlight. But a forehead is like, that's, I don't know if Cody Townsend signed a forehead yet. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, no, that's it, status. It's cool. Yeah. 
So I don't know. It's like, yeah, I mean, the spectator thing is kind of off and on. Um, but what really makes it is it's kind of, you know, I was talking about community, like coming to the MSU ski team and just having that community um, going to the World Cup. There's no like contention between athletes. Like everybody loves each other. We're all friends. Um, you know, the top three guys standing on the podium, it doesn't matter if you were first or third, like everybody's drinking beer after together, everybody's partying or at the end of a race series, there's always a party and you know, everybody gets a little saucy and (laughs) (laughs) there's lots of dancing and, and, um, snuff, you know, like the European. Yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. A lot of snuff. Um, Way to keep telemark alive. (laughs) Yeah. I think. Go ahead. Yeah. One of the like best parties I ever went to was in Maribel in France and there used to be the the Lowe brothers um, and their mom, they grew up in Maribel. They were on the French team and their mom owned a bar at the bottom of the ski hill. And so after those uh, races, we all went to the mom's bar and she had her own, I think it was just Genepi, um, but she had made it herself and we were all passing around this bottle of Genepi and like, it was so cool to just be in their hometown and have all of their fans and their family and yeah it was pretty special so how do you feel we won't talk telemark this whole time but how do you feel about telemark not being in the olympics do you think it should be an olympic sport do you think it will ruin it do you think telemark racing has been ruined in general recently because of probably more rules and restrictions like what's what's a world cup athlete's opinion on their sport getting denied the an olympic shot oh it's pretty disheartening because there are so many people on the world cup that have been doing it for so long like amelie raymond from the swiss team is still racing and she was racing 10 years before i even raced you know so she's really dedicated her whole life to the sport and there are so many other athletes like her that when i was racing the Olympics were kind of dangled in front of us like the carrot. And we thought, you know, if we stuck with it for long enough, maybe we could eventually go to the Olympics if we just stuck with it. And I don't know if I necessarily thought that it was never going to make it to the Olympics, but my junior year of college, I got really, I think I had seasonal depression, um, but I got really bummed out on ski racing and just like wasn't loving it anymore. And it felt more of a job than, like some fun thing that I got to go do. Um, and so I realized I needed to step away from the ski racing world and kind of hang up the, the race skis. Um, but I think had I not done that and then the bid had fallen through for this year, year, I would have been freaking bummed. Like, I think that having a sport make it to the Olympics is, you know, they only happen once every four years, but winning a gold medal, like the world knows that you've won that medal. It's not just, Oh yeah, well you've won a gold at world championships every, like every other year. Why can't you be happy with that? It's like, no, because the Olympics are like the pinnacle of the sports world and they always have been. So I think, and I think too, having a sport in the Olympics does get it more publicity to then grow it. And then there's more kids that are like, Oh, well, maybe I'll never make it as a slalom skier, but if I switch to telemark, like I have this awesome racing background and I can be good there and, you know, switch gears a little bit. So 
Yeah, no, that's an inch because I, again, not a racer. I'm like, no way. Telemark should not be in the Olympics. We're a bunch of scumbags and we shouldn't be in this corporate event. But I don't think about it from an athlete side because I'm clearly not an athlete of like, oh, these people have dedicated their entire lives to it. It's it is a World Cup sport. It's at that level. So why wouldn't it be put? Why wouldn't it be showcased at that level? Because these people are doing it. I mean, there's, I don't know, you said her name, but how long has she been racing? I mean, I guess now for like probably close to 20 years. Yeah, like, like that's, she's dedicated her life to yeah. this. And I will say, let the statistics show that Amelie Raymond has more World Cup wins than Lindsey Vaughn. Just saying. Put it on the record. <laughs> I wish I had a horn. <laughs> I don't have a good horn. I have like hot cues. I don't know if you can hear these, but this might be a clap. Oh, no. Oh. There it is. This is a clap. Nice. I need to set up my hot cues better. I have like a sad trombone. But Bombhole oh. took the horn. They have like a. Bah, 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 bah. See, I can't take that because they stole it already. So right. I need a. I need a. <laughs> a <little clap. laughs> I think I have. Oh. That one's not bad. I'll start using these. I'm sorry. I, we got, but that is a hot take. More World Cups than Lindsey Vaughn, and no one knows her name. Yep. How does that happen? Because it's Telemark, man, and nobody cares. <sighs> it's true. What are the? What do you? What binding do you? I'm going to talk about Telemark this whole time. I'm going to sh- swerve eventually. What binding do you use? I use the 22 Designs Outlaw X um, with the Scarpa TX Comp. I think it is the superior setup when i was racing i was on the rotafella free ride and um tx comps as well i try i dabbled with crispy for a minute don't think they're as stiff don't like him as much and when i f- first started racing i was on the rotafella cobra with the tx or the t race i've also dabbled in hammerheads before i was really racing i like the hammerheads a lot i love so. the hammerheads but I, I had to, I couldn't be a hypocrite, so I had to buy all new stuff because I was like, "This is why no one's doing this." I can't go into that rant again. <laughs> it seems like most racers are running the Rotafella. Is that changed a little bit? Yeah, most racers are on the Rotafella um, because it's a Norwegian company, and like the Norwegian team is debatably one of the better teams on the World Cup, um, and they just do a lot of hosting. So I think it's easier to get a pro deal or get sponsored by Rotafella. Um, also that binding you might as well be alpining that binding is yeah. rigid it is, a... it is rigid. I've noticed though since switching to the outlaws the Rotafellas are are nice and stiff right and that's what racers want is stiffness but I noticed going back to Rotafella for like a day last year because it was really bad conditions so I was just using like my shit fuck skis which still <laughs> have the freedom or the free rides on there and it's almost like you lift your heel and then there's like a engagement with the flex and the outlaw X is just like, you pick up that heel and it's like, it's stiff still, but it's like butter. It's more you know, active. It's yeah. There's no dead zone. Yeah. People listening are like, we're Alpine skiers. When you talk, <laughs> everyone needs to go rent telemark. Uh, I won't pay for your telemark rental, but I'll give you a free lesson over Instagram via FaceTime. Oh, or <laughs> anyone can take me up on that. Yeah. Or if you're listening and you live in Salt Lake City, um, link up with Freehill Life, Josh Madsen's shop, and get in on the free demo days that they have sometimes. Yeah, they do a great job supporting it. 
Um, City Garage, which is the shop I work at in Ellicottville, New York. We have a full demo fleet. Um, a lot of us are Telemark's gears. We know what we're talking about um, to an extent. I mean, we all do it at least. So, But yeah, it, there's a lot of companies out there. I think people are just intimidated by it. It's scary. Yeah. It's intimidating, especially Salt Lake is totally different. But like where I am, we're on 750 foot of vertical. So we get a lot of people, like I bet you our hill is 40, I'm going to say 40% Telemark skiers because it's all these rad dads who are bored. So they hmm. want something new. So they like snowboard and they learned how to do it. And then they're like, okay. And now they start Telemark skiing because it makes this molehill a mountain until you get it. Once it clicks, obviously everything's a little easier but um yeah i don't know i think a lot of the places are offering lessons offering demos you just have to seek it out a little more i think it's a little more intimidating and i think people are embarrassed to be bad at stuff which i think we need to change um it's okay to suck like learning is the best that's like the coolest thing like if you suck that means you're learning when you're good at it you're good that's great you're like plateaued but if you suck at something remember that you're now learning how to do something, which is like the most rad thing on the planet, which brings me to something that's not rad that you posted about this week on your Instagram, which everyone should go look at. We'll tag your Instagram in the post so everyone can look. But you basically talk about locals versus non-locals or where people are from, and you can sum this up better than I can, but kind of explain the post and what came from it. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of been a long time coming, but, um, let's see, it was my last day of work this week, which was Tuesday. Tuesday is my Friday, which is a pretty sweet setup, but I ski patrol at Big Sky, um, in Montana and I was riding up the lift and just kind of by a weird, like malfunction of the gates when they opened to get on the lift, I got on with a skier and a snowboarder. And honestly, I was trying to ride the lift alone because I don't really like to ride the lift with people when I'm patrolling just because, you know, it's always the same questions, which is totally fine. But sometimes I just like want to not talk. Um, and so there was a skier on my left and he was asking me just basic questions about patrol. Um, and he seemed like a little bit nervous. And then there was a snowboarder on my right who was like classic, had like the avi vest and like his little male slut strands going um and the snowboarder like leaned up and he goes where are you from man and the skier was kind of like uh uh like i live in bozeman and the guy goes uh hmm, yeah where are you from man and the skier was like uh well i get i moved here from chicago last year and the guy was like ah yep there it is and i was sitting there just like oh my God, like this guy's getting like verbally attacked. And in the moment, I wasn't sure how to shut it down. And it like made me really uncomfortable. And uh, the skier went on to say, you know, like, yeah, like I moved during COVID because I figured out I could work remotely. And the snowboarder was like, yeah, yeah, like you and everybody else here. And the skier was just like, yeah, but I mean, it's like a really fun spot. And like, I can ski all the time. And I really like it here. And then the snowboarder, and this is like nothing against snowboarders. I think that snowboard culture is great. And I honestly think that snowboard culture for the most part is more accepting than ski culture. He um, just happened to but, be a snowboarder. And for yeah. this story, we're going to hate on this said snowboarder. Yeah. Like this one dude, it's not that he was a snowboarder. It was just that he was being him. Um, 
but yeah, he went on to say that he was like, you know, uh, he grew up in Bozeman and then he corrected himself. He was like, well, actually Belgrade, which is a smaller town near Bozeman, which apparently for the l- true locals, like is more street cred if you grew up in Belgrade over Bozeman because Bozeman becoming, you know, the city. And the snowboarder was talking about how, yeah, like he can't wait for the temps to get negative 18 again and like have a really cold winter so that everybody who's moved here in the last two years, like goes back to wherever they came from. And the skier is like, yeah, I mean, it's kind of nice. Cause like working remotely, I can just stay inside when it gets that cold. <laughs> and then uh, he was like, but you know, I came up here when it was really cold last year, like it was negative 12 and I came up skiing. And so then we like, we eventually started having like more of a normal conversation, like halfway up the lift. And when we all got off, you know, we all said like to each other, have a good day, but I hung back with the skier and I was just like, Hey man, that was super uncalled for. And I'm so sorry that that just happened. Like you should feel welcome here. And locals here are getting really heated about people moving to like this cool spot. And the skier went on to say that he was like, Oh, it's really not a big deal. Like that's not the worst I've had it. And I was just like, what people have been more mean to you than that. And he's like, Oh yeah. And I was just like, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing as an industry to be so mean to people that are out here trying their best? They're moving here because they like it. Everybody wants to live in a cool ski town and be outdoors because guess what? It's good for your brain. It's good for your body. Like the longevity and sustainability of your life depends on you going outside. So like, why are we telling people that they can't do that? Yeah, it's an interesting we're like gatekeeping our own place, but we're like telling everyone how great it is, but telling them not to come. Mm-hmm. And that's like the simplest form, but I don't know where this entitlement comes from. I don't, it seems more recent or maybe we're just shining light on it recently, but even the whole, like, I don't know. I mean, we get it when we go, I'm from New York and I go to Vermont. Mm-hmm. New York, it's a bad rep because it's New York. People just think New York city. I'm, I'm, eight hours from New York city. I'm nowhere near the city, but even still like, yeah, these people work all week and then they drive to your town to spend money and tip. Like, what do you do? Oh, you're the bartender. You wouldn't have a job if this guy didn't come to this town every day right? or every weekend or whatever. But it's, I feel like Bozeman's just starting to really get it. And I'm not there, but I'm starting to like, see it more like Jackson's had it forever. The mm-hmm. local, people at Jackson aren't happy with tourism and now Bozeman's like the next stop right like we keep going and now we're at Bozeman Mm -hmm. my question to you and I think you might have maybe answered it but how do we fix it how do we make it better yeah I think I mean you're starting to see it a little bit more in the outdoor industry but like this feeling of inclusivity so you know it used to be that like females weren't really welcome in this outdoor industry and then it was that minorities aren't really welcome in the ski industry and now it's like people with disability aren't really welcome and granted like all of those things are slowly making progress but it's nowhere near where it needs to be and i think there are different organizations or different like I guess, social media accounts, if you will, that are like pulling people into the sport and getting people to participate a little bit more or like, 
I don't know, there's a company in Bozeman right now called Ski Like the Ski Like a Girl. And it's all about getting women onto skis who maybe have never skied before or they're like just moving to a ski town and they are scared to ski because it's hard to break into because of these egos. And so I think it kind of starts from the people that are already within this industry. Like we need to take a minute and be like, wow, we're being absolute dickheads. We're not being nice and just like encourage people to do the things in the outdoors that we love to do and with passion because, and this kind of dips into like my river guiding job a little bit, but you know, you take these people down the river that have never had this experience before. And they're in the middle of the biggest wilderness area in the contiguous 48 States, the Frank church wilderness in Idaho. And maybe they've not spent that much time in the outdoors, or maybe they haven't done a multi-day river trip before, but you get them out there and they're way out of their comfort zone. They're way out of their element. And they're like, wow, like this place is so spectacular. It's a wilderness area. Like, what does that mean? And you're like, well, it means, you know, no motorized, uh, like vehicles. You can't use a chainsaw. You can't use a bike. Like it's, it's pristine wilderness. And then they're like, whoa, yeah. Like that's really worth protecting. Or, you know, it's awesome that we still have these wild places within our country to go experience. And so, I think it's kind of the same with the ski industry. It's like, if you get more people into the outdoors, there's going to be more people who want to protect the outdoors, who want to protect our environment and protect our wild places. So it's just like, you shouldn't turn people away from something that you love to do because it's going to grow the industry. With that being said, how do you feel about all these mega passes? Cause that's like, I agree with you. What you said to like a hundred percent. And I want everyone to experience this and I want everyone to get outdoors because the more people that do it, the more funding it will get. And when it goes to voting, people will care and climate change and like, holy shit, this stuff matters. Right. And the only way to get to people to care is to get them to enjoy it and understand why it matters. But these mega passes are like getting people to these resorts. But now we have we're creating bad experiences. If you go skiing on a Saturday at Vail. Odds are you will have a bad experience, which is an interesting creation that they've created, if that makes sense at all. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it does make sense. And I think to a certain extent, it's like the earth's population is growing, which is why like cool places are growing. Everybody needs a place to live and then everybody needs a place to go recreate. And it, I mean, it does suck that like, you, you know, you're going to stand in a lift line for a really long time, or there's going to be a ton of traffic. And it's almost like the, it's like, it's not the consumer's fault necessarily for buying into those passes or only being able to ski on Saturday, Sundays. It's the evil corporations that are just trying to make the most money. And, you know, they, they like, it's like the corporations don't care about the consumer's experience anymore. So, I guess to that extent, it's like, how do we get the big ski areas and these major mega passes to, yeah, like give the people a better experience? Yeah, it's, I think you nailed it without maybe knowing you nailed it. But I think I'm all for the mega pass. I couldn't travel, I couldn't afford to travel and ski all over the country without getting an icon. I couldn't, I can't 
pay $200 a day to go skiing. It does not compute in my life. My lifestyle, I'd have to work Monday through Friday and I don't want to do that. So I'm a ski bum and I, but I think maybe limiting the sales, like you can buy an Epic Pass, I think still today. Maybe it ended two days ago, but like maybe put a stop on it and put a limit on it or like they're just selling. I don't know. Someone just announced, I think Ski Journal just announced how many passes they sold this year versus last year versus two years ago. And it's like 10 times more than two years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's like they know they can't handle that. They know that. So like why don't they care? I don't know if you follow. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, because they only care about money, money, money. Right. But I don't know if you follow uh, Epic Lift Lines on Twitter. Alex Kaufman. He used to run Wintry Mix, uh, a podcast. But he has a thing called Epic Lift Lines, an Instagram handle. And that's all he does is kind of blast on them. But he's very intelligent. And he's it's all numbers based. And he's like, it's just not sustainable. And he's not trying to like... I don't know. I guess I'm just saying it's not like the typical like fuck Vale. It's like, hey, this isn't a sustainable model for the consumer. For the corporation, sure. But like we have to make it work for both or it doesn't work in the end. Right. I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. It bums me out because I have to get one or I can't go skiing with my friends all over the country because it just doesn't doesn't work. But and I mean, to that extent too, like a lot of places now, like Steamboat's base pass is the Icon Pass. So by default, my parents get the Icon Pass and then they get seven days at Big Sky. So I don't have to use my free vouchers and they can come ski Big Sky with me and it's fabulous. And then they, on their way home, they can go to Jackson and then they can go ski with Taylor Johnson at Alta because my dad idolizes that kid. And like, you know what I mean? Like it does open up all the possibilities of skiing, but it's like some people are more or less forced into that pass because why would you buy a $1,200 steamboat pass when you could get a $600 icon pass and have unlimited days to steamboat because you live there and then go on trips? Like, Yeah, it's, I don't know. I've never been so for and against something at the same time. I just think there's a proper way to do it. And I think they'll, I hope that they'll figure it out and just kind of like, just set a limit. Like we, okay, once these are gone, they're gone. There's no end date, but like we're selling a hundred thousand icon passes. And when they're gone, you don't get one. Like, yeah. And that's the only way I think you can truly throttle it or do like a Monday through Thursday icon pass. I would buy that. I would buy that all day. I don't want to be there on Saturday ever. Like (laughs) I will be walking up some, like I will go pow surfing at like the local sledding hill. Like I'm good. I'll, I'll battle the kids for pow on sleds and my pow surfer. Like I do not need to be at a resort, but I don't know. I think there's a way to throttle it and to do it, but back to your chairlift ride a little bit. I think what was important that you didn't maybe even realize that you did is you were in uniform. I'm assuming you were patrolling and you stopped and spoke with that person um whether or not you knew that was important to me a consumer someone in a uniform who represents the ski resort taking the time to stop and say that is so important on changing our industry that like i don't know i don't i think that's so 
important. Like, I think that guy went home and was like, you know what? A ski patroller came up to me after like a shitty lift ride and was like, hey, that's not cool. Like, as simple as that. Hey, that's not cool. I think that goes so much further. And I think that's what we as industry people or just, I'm not an industry person. I just ski a lot. I'm a consumer. Like, I don't, now I guess I work for the ski industry because I have this podcast, but like, I photograph weddings. Like I'm not like, I just like, I photograph weddings so I can ski a hundred days a year. I don't want to work. I don't want to ski patrol because I don't want anyone to ruin my day. I'm selfish. I want to go skiing. So like, but like, so if someone in uniform says something to me or like me who maybe some kid looks up to at my local resort can like say that's rad or that's not acceptable think that goes a long way and i think we're like at that point in our ski culture where we can finally like speak up and not to be jerks speak up to be like hey that's not cool yeah yeah and i think like one thing that i took away from that whole interaction was like i don't think that in that moment if i had tried to shut the like abuser down it probably just wouldn't have been received very well and especially like being in uniform being a patroller and being like hey man that's not very nice he would have just been like yeah ski patroller nerds like whatever you know or like yeah well i grew up in belgrade so like i have the right to say whatever i want and it's like well no you don't but also if you can just like take that person that was getting straight up like pretty much verbally abused is what i'm gonna call it like if you're just like hey that's not how everybody thinks fuck that guy you're fine keep doing you (laughs) yeah i think i think it goes a long way i really do and i do think someone will put that snowboarder in his place Uh, i had a recent experience i was in california last weekend and i was working with uh, a bunch of people i didn't know you know sometimes you just get into groups and i said something that was insensitive, but not in the right circle, but just because I didn't know. It was ignorant because of my lack of education. Um, mm-hmm. And I admit that, and I'm not going to say what it was because I would never want to get canceled publicly. But like the guy called me out, and I was like, holy shit, I've been saying this for a long time. And it was something stupid. It was like a joke, but like he called me out, and I'll never say that again. But it has to be the right scenario. Like, it just has to be, you know, you in uniform on a chairlift was not the right time to call that person out. But this guy who's like my peer who I'm working with, and again, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a horrible thing, but it was just something that, like, he was like, hey, we don't joke about that. And I was like, you're right. I'm 100% wrong. And now I know that and I can move forward. And I think... Like having the confidence, like that guy had the confidence to call me out as a peer and it was so refreshing. And that was me getting called out. And I don't know, I guess we were both adults about it enough to be like, like he said it, it's all he had to say. I was wrong. I admitted I was wrong. I apologized and like, I'll never do it again and again i didn't say anything like horrible like everyone <laughs> listening but it's just simple things that, like that that snowboard didn't say anything horrible mm-hmm. he just said where are you from oh of course you're from chicago it's not a horrible thing to say 
but it's also right. something that doesn't need to be said. Yeah. Like so, it's not, it's just not a competition. And I think that's like the reason that this whole, the whole social media post that I did and this experience that I had was kind of just like the last nail in the coffin. I was like, I was already having these conversations with some of my coworkers about lift rides this year already. I've been asked by like even other resort employees or guests. It's like, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I live in Bozeman. I was born in Nevada. I went to high school in Colorado. I've now lived in Montana longer than I lived in Colorado, but I still lived in Nevada for longer than both of those places. Like everybody's having an identity crisis and everybody has moved here at some point. Or like, even if you were born here, like a lot of my friends who were born here are not mean about it. But I think like kind of what you're saying with um, like getting called out, it's like, I think we need to realize that if we do get called out for something, we own up to it. We say, sorry, or we learn from it and like move on, like swallow your ego, your pride, like realize that you're not always going to be the all knowing cool guy or girl and just like be more chill. (laughs) Yeah. I just think be more accepting to learn. Like I, I don't know. I mean, especially with this podcast, like I've been having conversations that like I'm blonde hair, blue eyed, middle class white guy. Like my life has been easy. Sure. I've had my struggles, but like comparatively, my life has been easy. And all I can do is shut up and listen. And I'm and it's been the greatest thing that I've learned this year through this podcast and not in a rude way. You know, I I interviewed uh, Steve Serrero, who is a wheelchair professional wheelchair basketball player he has like two gold medals a bronze for me and i told him this it was a it was an awkward conversation for me because i didn't want to offend him and meanwhile he's like dude i have fucking two gold medals i got a or three or yeah two gold medals a bronze like i'm the michael jordan of wheelchair basketball like i you're not going to offend me and it was so nice because i just i wanted to like tiptoe around the subject and it's like he knows he's in a wheelchair and he knows he's a better athlete than me all day every day (laughs) like it's but it's been really it's been a learning experience in general and it's like put your pride aside yeah you have to be pc or should want to be but like i didn't know what i was getting into that conversation like what do we call them are that you know like oh they're just humans that's what they are they're basketball players. It's not what do we call them? Like they're not this mysterious alien. They're people who are better than you at a lot of things. They just happen to have been born without the use of their legs or so, like it's and it's been really fun and interesting, but it's the whole like you don't know what you don't know. And it could be something as simple as this where are you from conversation. And then you're like shaming them from being born somewhere else. Who cares? Like, I don't know. I'm I'm in a ranty mood today, so I apologize. (laughs) But I'm just like, I think the answer is I'm fucking tired, like of it. Like I saw your post and I was like, fuck this. Like this pisses me off. And I'm, why are we having these conversations? Why do we have to have these conversations in extreme sledding? That's all we're doing. Like we're just going down the hill in like an extreme way. Like, why can't we just like where are you from? Chicago. Oh fuck, I love Chicago. Dude, did you 
ski this run. It was awesome. Like that should be the conversation. The where are you from should be like, oh, maybe I've been there. And there's like a connection. Like, oh, I'm from wherever. Not like, oh, of course you're from there. <laughs> like, what is yeah. that? I don't know. Right. I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah. It just drives like, me. Talk about anything else. Like, Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? <laughs> yeah. Sick. And I think that would be like a really fun, like, maybe we'll come up with a post on like things to talk about on the chairlift. Acceptable yeah. questions for the chairlift. And we'll like come down and like, I don't know. I don't, I don't even mind the where are you from. It's the judgment after. Yeah. Cause like maybe you're from Buffalo. Holy shit, I'm from Buffalo. Oh, you ever go here? Great. Awesome. Cool. It can be good, but this judgment of like this local pride is so like gorilla chest beating. Like, I'm born here, so I'm better than you is insane. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just gatekeeping. Why do we stop gatekeeping? We need. Dave Watson to speak to everybody. I interviewed Dave Watson. I asked him about gatekeeping on Everest. And he was like, no one should be there. I shouldn't be there. So why should I tell a lawyer that he can't be there? He's like, I just happen to have a better skill set so I can help him get there. He's like, but nothing lives at this level. Nothing. So who am I to say I should be here and you shouldn't be? And it's like, that's it. That's as simple as that. We all are like lucky to be wherever we are at that time. So let's just embrace that and enjoy the fact that we're all here doing it kind of together, even though we want to ride the chairlift by ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. We've been talking for a while. I want to get to a cup. We do have a topic that isn't always fun to talk about, but we talked about a little before. Um, You spoke about seasonal depression and why you stopped skiing or ski racing or how it became a job i think mental health is really important and i think you telling a story like that is extremely important for other people to hear so let's just maybe talk i mean we don't have to go too deep but like talk about mental health and how important it is yeah um i mean basically your noggin is your whole it's you. So if there's something wrong with your brain, like if you aren't wearing a helmet and then you hit your head, like you're going to hurt your brain and that's going to suck. And like, you can hurt your brain in other ways by, you know, just like the seasonal depression thing. Like if you live in New York or Montana or Washington, like it gets dark really early and in the winter it gets dark early and we don't get as much vitamin D as you probably should. And we all know that seasonal depression is a thing, but I also think like it is happening more in the outdoor industry or in mountain towns where because we have these big egos or we're supposed to be these big, strong athletes and we're pushing ourselves in the mountains every day or, you know, on the river, or whatever. Um, like we don't like to admit when we're not feeling happy because we live these really cool lives and like kind of back to what you were saying about being like a white middle-class male in America. It's like, yeah, I'm a white middle-class female in America and like I've had it pretty easy too. Um, And so I think it's, it is starting to get to a point where like we feel guilty for feeling sad or depressed or anxious or stressed because like, why should I be stressed when I get to work outside every day? But it happens. And 
I think we just need to do a better job of checking in on our friends and making sure that when you're asking someone how they're doing or you're noticing that they're a little bit more reserved, quiet, not responding to texts right away or not wanting to come hang out and do things that they used to really like to do, we need to take it upon ourselves to engage with that person more and make sure that they know that they have a good support system, know that, you know, your ski family is your family, your patrol family is your family, your guiding family is your family. Like everybody that I work with and all of my jobs, I'm also a yoga teacher, like my yoga family, it's like all of my jobs I consider to be my family. And so I think we just need to kind of eliminate this feeling of being a burden if you need help or if you want to talk to your friend about it. And if it gets to a point where your friends can't help you or they're not giving great advice because they don't know how to kind of deal with an emotional breakdown or anxiety, like getting them the resources that they need, like telling them that therapy isn't as hard to sign up for as you might think. Um, I know like Big Sky has the employee assistance program. And so they give three free sessions of therapy to any employee that asks for it. And then after that, it's kind of like on your own or whatever. But um, there's a lot of other good organizations, like for guides, there's the Redside Foundation, which is in Idaho and Montana, and they'll help you out. Um, but yeah, it's just like, again, swallowing your pride and being able to talk to a professional or somebody who knows more about mental health than you might and like being there for your, your people. Yeah. And I think just talking about it in general, like you and I speaking about it is, you know, it, it helps because people listening are struggling and they're embarrassed or, you know, and I've struggled and it sounds like you've struggled and it's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, you know, it's the simple, it's as simple as it's okay to not be okay. But even simpler than that, the one that I always liked is if your leg was broken, you'd get it fixed. Like plain and simple. So like your brain is broken. Doesn't mean it's bad. It's just broken. So go get it fixed. <laughs> it's it's yeah. that like it's it's simple and it's stupid almost, but it's like if your leg was broken, if you broke your arm, you go to the hospital. Well, like if you if you're having, you know, if your brain is broken, and that always sounds so harsh. Doesn't mean it's unfixable. It just needs a cast. It needs a conversation. And I think I think it's changing. I do. I really do. I think, you know, I think mental health has been a major spotlight and it's, you know, it's real. I think, and I think everyone's realizing that. And I think it's refreshing to see and hear about. And, you know, I don't know what the stat is, but like the number of people going to therapy right now is like, it's wild. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it like, oh, all these people are getting help. And that's all it is. You're getting help. And how, like, why wouldn't you want to help yourself? Yeah. I mean, you have to want to help yourself. But I think, yeah, with mental health, it's kind of like, I don't know. My, my therapist literally just told me this today. But she was like, you're not broken. You're just stuck. And so it's like. You're, maybe you're stuck in the way that you don't want to ask for help, but it's like, you just gotta, first off, want to help yourself, but like take that first step or like admit that you're struggling. And then, yeah, I mean, 
I think the pandemic has been hard on everybody because everybody had to spend more time alone. And there are a lot of extroverts out there that were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't get to see my people every day. Like, what do you mean? So, I mean, like, we're in a really weird time. And yeah, it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's okay to feel weird. I like that. That's a good one. And I hate the word broken because broke, like you know, like you're again, your therapist just said you're not broken, you're just stuck. But I think it works with the the lag analogies. It like putting it in simple terms, like something's not right, and that's okay. But let's get it fixed. Like why? And I don't know. I don't. I don't think. I think there's always been like this stigma of like, oh he's in therapy or she's in therapy, but like no one's mad when you go to the doctor cause you rolled your ankle. No one's like, Oh, we went to the doctor today. Like you just have to, we just have to remove that. Like, yeah, he went to the doctor cause he rolled his ankle playing basketball cause he tried to beat Steve on a wheelchair and he crushed him cause he's a way better athlete than him. Cause they're humans. But like, <laughs> it's, but like, it's the stigma. It's this, like, we shouldn't, you shouldn't, our brain should just work and be fine. And like, no, they don't. They need, we need help. We need conversations. We need maybe that motivation or maybe that just someone shining a light and saying like, Hey, it's pretty good. Or like, if it's not that good, how do we make it better? Or like, like you said, wanting to change or wanting help. And it's, I don't know. I think if we knew the answer, we would just, we would all do it. But I think the step in the right direction is just conversation and reaching out to your friends and asking them if they're okay. And your friends being confident enough to say and comfortable enough to say, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID, you know, the evil word of COVID, I think that changed a lot for a lot of people. And I think the last almost two years now, has shined a lot of light on mental health and how important it is because the world was so busy and so fast that we could just keep putting it off and then it slowed down and everyone was like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm alone with my thoughts for the first time in 35 years. Yeah. I think that's good. I think it's good. And I think that's why I do truly believe that that's, why we see we hear about it more and we see it and it's more acceptable and like Simone Biles like holy shit like talk about like being like paving the way for like mental health like there's no there's no bigger stage internationally nationally there's no bigger athlete and of course you're going to have those people who are like, she she needs to tough it out. And it's like, no, fuck you, dude. Like, you have no idea. You don't know this pressure that she puts up with and the mental state and how severely she can get hurt at her job if she's not in the correct mental state. Right. And that can go all the way down to an iron worker who's not in a mental state. Like, you're walking on... You know, you're building structures. Like you need to be in a you're a gymnast. You're walking on a balance beam at X feet, welding, building. Like you need to be at your best. And I think, you know, talking about it is the biggest thing that we can do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it is like it is nice. 
I mean, like you talked about the bomb hole earlier and I, uh, I was just on a long da- drive by myself down to Flagstaff in September to go on a Grand Canyon trip. And I was like, Oh, everybody send me podcasts and like whatever you like to listen to. Cause I'm going to have like 15 hours in a car. And, uh, one of my buddies sent me the Jess Kimura, uh, episode of the bomb hole and, and she had talked about mental health and it was like, I don't think I had ever heard a professional athlete really talk about it to the extent that she did. And I was like, damn, like it is so nice to hear a professional athlete talk about mental health because it just like, yeah, it starts to break down barriers and that's, that's what we need to be doing essentially. So. Yeah. I think it's, you know, if I can do anything with this platform or, you know, Jabber, who's the other host or, you know, Renee and Tori on the other on Big Stick, like if we can have one listener be like, holy shit, then we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. And like, you know, it's it's important. It's important. Like caring about yourself is important. You go to the gym every day because you want to look like fit. But if you're not mentally fit, then what's physically fit? It doesn't mean anything like. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's I think it's refreshing. So I'm glad you wanted to talk about it. So thank you for talking about it. Uh, it's important. I don't think we can ever drive that home more than anything as it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Be nice to yourself. It's like be nice to yourself and be nice to others. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. It's that it's simple. Like, yeah. What do you have going on this winter? We'll swerve a little bit here. Uh, anything new and exciting going on? Are you filming? Are you competing? You're not racing anymore. No, I'm not racing anymore. I did for the first three years or first three seasons out of racing. I was competing in the free Hill life cup that was at grand Targhee. Um, and that was like super fun. And, um, again, like community, it's like, that was an awesome community to be a part of. And I still talk to a lot of those athletes. Um, but yeah, then when that kind of lost some traction, um, I was going down to Alta at least once a season and then COVID hit. And so I haven't been back to Alta in two seasons. So I really, I want to go ski with all of my free hill life buddies and get down there and just, yeah, like ski around with those guys. Um, hopefully still make a trip to Targi. I have some friends patrolling down there now that I just want to go hang out with. It's like, it's funny. Cause I feel like, you know, when I stopped racing, I still wanted to be a part of the community in a way that, you know, the free hill life cup offered. But then when that stopped, it was like, Oh, how do I still like be a ski athlete, but not actually do any competitions, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, you know, part, partly ski patrolling helps with that because I'm still getting like paid to ski or whatever. But, um, but now instead of, you know, like what are my like goals for the season? It's just like, which friends am I going to go skiing with this season? And like, are we going to get a hut booked? And are we, are we going to go back country like for a couple of days and like drink a bunch of beer and like hang out in a backcountry sauna? Cause like, that's fun. And like my whole mindset has like changed off of, you know, skiing big lines and yeah, like being super rad to just like, I just want to go have nice experiences outside with my friends. That's like really what it comes down to. Just want to hang out. I think that is the best take i've ever had on the podcast you know what? i just want to go have fun with my friends <laughs> that should that should be everyone's goal i just you know what i'm i think i'm done 
like doing that, but I just want to have fun with my friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Where can people follow you on Instagram? Uh, you have a blog, but it doesn't seem like you're very active on it. So I feel like Instagram is the best spot for people to follow you. Yeah. Instagram is where I'm most active. Um, it's telly underscore Maddie, because if you don't have telly in your Instagram handle and you telemark ski, how is anybody ever going to know that you telemark ski? <laughs> it's valid. It's extremely valid. And that's why I don't have it. Cause I'm a poser. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, actually, so some of my buddies in Bozeman, they made these stickers and they call themselves like part of the team, but it's the future former telemark skiers of America. And like, I need I'm one. still one, but like you're now a former telemark skier. Like you've made it. <laughs> I'm real sad about it. I'm like, I'm so torn. I'm really, it's I'm having a hard time. I think it's the right choice, but I'll still telemark. I'm still into it. I just, I just wanted lighter gear for Mount Washington. That's all I want. I went last year and I had a really bad experience in Mount Washington and crampons don't work that great with telemark boots. I don't care what anyone tells you. There's a bellow and they flex and you're driving a crampon into a metal sheet of ice and then your bellow flexes and your crampon falls off and it's stupid. And I'm mad about it. So now I'm an alpine skier. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. Your telemark gear will be there for you when you decide that it's you never going to go. change. So I don't have to worry about being outdated because no one's <laughs> yeah. ever going to buy anything. Maddie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for listening to my rants today. Thank you for sharing all your stories and just having a great, genuine conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been, I've never been on a podcast before, so hopefully it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did great. So thank you yeah. so much. Uh, everyone go follow t uh, Telly underscore Maddie, correct? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So for anyone keeping count, that was episode 40 of The Pursuit on the Out of Collective. Please like, share, review. Please review, leave five stars, mention Adam X. That helps me, helps prove my value to the collective. Uh, downloads have been really good. The episodes have been great. Uh, let me know what you think. It helps. I listen. Uh, DM me at Mr. Adam X. DM at on a podcast we're listening if there's someone who you think should be on the show or if you think you should be on the show and you have a story to tell we want to hear it people want to hear it so let us know and um i think that oh that's not it i have to thank maddie thank you so much for being on the show that was phenomenal that was her first time on a podcast i thought she killed it i thought we had a great conversation I love talking telemark. I love hating on telemark. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, yeah, I. it's Christmas week. I hope everyone is like caught up and like not stressed because you're not supposed to stress during the holidays. Enjoy it. Have some eggnog. Maybe drink a little too much at your Christmas party. Maybe don't drink at all. I don't really care. I just want you to, I'm wishing everyone like an amazing holiday. Give yourself a break. You deserve it. Hope you have a great New Year, New Year's Day. I have to photograph a wedding on New Year's Day, which I think will be really fun, or everyone will be hungover. So we're going to find out what that's like. I don't know. I think that's it. Uh, I'm going to put out some episodes still during the holidays, so I'm excited about that. I still don't have an outro. I just like saying I'll see you tomorrow. So I'm Mr. Adam X, and I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>